0: So, I want to take a moment and think about one of our fears, one of our fears, think about one of our fears, something, that very possibility of it happening in your life fills you with anxiety or worry or fear, and I want you to write that down on the piece of paper I hand it out. This is Daylight Savings Day, so we're doing an exercise so you don't fall asleep on me, although some of you will anyway that's okay. I'm used to that. So, write down, come on Tito, you're doing it too. Choose right. <laughs> a couple words to, to capture that, that fear that you have. We all have fears. Maybe it's a worry, maybe you think of it as a worry or an anxiety, but we all have them. What, what is it? No one's going to see these, by the way. These are yours. Now, take a moment and really try to imagine that event actually happening. Imagine that event actually happening and try to allow for the emotions that it would cause. And as you're thinking about that event actually happening, write down some of the thoughts you're having about that. Should this thing that you worry about constantly or you get anxiety over or you fear happen, what, what would that what would that mean? What would those emotions look like? Okay, now try to imagine that after one day of experiencing this thing you're afraid of, it stops. It ends. It completely ends. It goes away. And it can't happen again. It's gone. You experience it for one day, it's gone. Now allow those feelings of relief, freedom after times of pain and suffering to sort of settle over us. Okay. And now let's add one more layer to this exercise. Imagine that before it happens, before this thing you're so afraid of happens, you know it's only going to last for one day. How does that change your level of worry? How does that change your concern and your anxiety? Fear. Even if you were imagining the worst possible scenario, I was close to my worst fear. It's not going to change the pain, the sorrow, the hurt that the event causes in that moment. But what does it do to the anxiety, the worry, the fear surrounding the event? Knowing that it's going to be over in a day and it's it's never going to happen again. What does it do to our approach to the possibility of that thing happening? It's most likely that that knowledge that it is not final, that is not the reality you will endure forever, reduces the level of fear we have. Right? It is possible that the worry can be more easily put aside, the anxiety much more manageable, and the fear that accompanies this thing can almost be a distant memory, almost. Certainly, it is at least the knowledge that offers hope. I think. Right? The hope that we all feel when we are facing something horrible. But we know it is not going to last. We all have a hope. Now, here's the thing: we all know a form of this exercise, right? We all know a form of this exercise, for it is something we do for all the little moments of pain in our life, like when your dentist tells you that all those cavities you got when you were a kid are starting to crumbling, and you need new ones. I hate. I would rather break a leg than get a tooth filled. I just you go in, and first of all, what? Raquel's not here, why is an okay needle this long? Like why can't it just be this long? So you are closing your eyes and you still see this thing. It kills and it does nothing. You're all numbed up, but the second that drill hits the nerve, you still feel it. And he says, oh, you want more? And then this side of your face is numb and then your shoulders numb. I hate getting my teeth filled. So I use this exercise. I drive myself to the dentist, it's okay. Three hours, four hours from now, I'll be fine. Four hours from now, I'll be fine. I'll get through this. And it's something we teach our kids. Right? We teach our kids this all the time. When oh, they're getting their shots, their well shots. Yeah, it's gonna hurt, but it'll be go away. I remember when, you know, my kids were having their baby teeth falling out and some of them were a little stuck and I had to pull them. Is it gonna hurt, Dad? Yeah, it's gonna hurt, but it'll be gone and then they prepare for it and then you pull it, ah, and then all of a sudden it's off to the tooth fairy and everyone's happy. <laughs> we do this. It is a good mechanism for coping with the little fears and the little anxieties and the little worries, no doubt. But here's the thing, as adults, we don't lose sleep at night worrying about the little things. We're not filled with fears over small discomforts. Most of us, there are some of us, but most of us do not plan our lives around avoiding every single minor irritation. If we did, we'd all be moving out of New England right about now. It's the big things that cause us fear. Cancer. What if we get cancer? Or worse, what if our kids get cancer? Right? What if we lose our money in our house? What if what if what if we can't provide for our kids? What if we can't protect them? Etc. 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 So for these things, a simple coping mechanism is probably not enough to mitigate our fears and anxieties. But I didn't ask us to go through this exercise this morning as a simple coping mechanism. And while it may seem very similar to how we get through the small pains in life, I suggest what I'm going to be driving at today, what Paul was driving at in his homily, is something entirely different. It's something that is equal to even our biggest fears, I think. It is what one of my favorite late authors calls the divine yes. The divine yes a term he borrowed from St. Paul himself, who wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but to in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And the biggest promise God makes to all of us, the biggest promise God makes, the promise Christ himself evidenced, The promise the disciples lived fearless lives because of. The promise that was at the heart of all Paul did and wrote is resurrection. Resurrection. It is our singular hope. Resurrection is God's promise that no matter what happens. No matter what happens. No matter how bad life gets. No matter if even our worst fears come to pass, it's not the end of the story. It will not hold. It will not last. For the end of the story is resurrection. Resurrection, our singular hope. You know, when I witness the way people live their lives, the way I live my life, I'm not even really pointing fingers at anyone. But a never-ending attempt to preserve our own well-being and the well-being of our nuclear immediate family. A constant struggle to live safe and comfortable lives. An exhausting effort to avoid all dangers, real or imagined. The almost obscene amount of resources spent to live long and prosper so we might be happy. The isolationist attitude of protecting ourselves so others can't ruin our own sense of well-being. The extremely selfish, and when you really think about about it, ludicrous focus on what Shane Claiborne calls tiptoeing through life just to arrive at death safely. Think about that. That is so convicting to me. Tiptoeing through life. Why? just so we can arrive at death safely, we're getting there anyway. When I see this in myself, and frankly in so many Christians in so many places that have been, it makes me wonder if any of us really believe in resurrection. It makes me wonder if I believe in resurrection. And I don't mean believe, not as a theological proposition or a creedal statement, but as reality. As reality. As sure as we are of the changing of the seasons, like from that opening quote today, do we believe in resurrection? For I think if we did, our lives couldn't help but look different. At least in the place where our fears and our worries and our anxieties are think they would have to be much, much less. Maybe that is why Christ said perfect love casts out fear. Right? That's a sentence statement, one of Christ's statements we always get confused about. What is he talking about? Well, I think to believe in perfect love is to be confident that a universe created and held together by perfect love must be a universe in which life and not death wins. And to truly believe in that final outcome That final outcome, that not only does life win, but it is through the very death we fear so much that life finally comes in all its glory, I think would reduce our fears. And I believe this is why Paul wrote this epic essay on resurrection. It informed his entire existence, and he wants it to inform ours. Resurrection, the the divine yes to all the horror the world would throw at us. Is exactly how Paul lived the life he lived. Paul lived a life completely abandoned to following Christ by loving others as Christ did, seeking others' good, not his own. Here's a small glimpse into the life Paul lived. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. (coughs) Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That is a life that requires something more than a simple coping mechanism. Right? that is a life that must be substantially free of fear or after the first whipping he might have quit after the first beating with rods he might have quit and gone back to his isolated self-preservation ways this is a life that is formed by a complete belief that no matter what happens resurrection is the final reality so one does not need to order one's life around preservation of self but can willingly and truly follow Christ even to the cross, because behind the cross is resurrection. This was how Paul lived. This is how he wants us to live. And let's face it, this is a great way to live. And I want you to forget for a moment, forget, totally forget for a moment, this will be the first and maybe last time I ever say this at Cana. but forget for a moment the purposeful sacrifice of serving others and loving others. Just forget that. Right, just forget all that for a moment. And just think of the life we live, the world we live in, okay? Even being incredibly selfish and careful and self-preserving, there is no guarantee of a healthy, long, prosperous life for ourselves or our children. None. We love to think we're in control of that, but we're not. Let's face it. Who was that author from a long, long time ago? Jim Fix? Anyone old enough to remember Jim Fix? He ran marathons, wrote books on running. 52, he dropped out of a heart attack. You can live the most selfish life, all about self-protection. This world we live in, it's going to get you eventually. So forget about living like Paul, going through all that just to love others. Just the world we live in is filled with fear, right? It's filled with horrible stuff. Drivers can just look down at their text and come over the L line and ruin your life in a second. Cancer can pop up at any moment. So, just think about that for a second. Well, to live the reality of resurrection is to live free of fear. Even of those random dangers that can happen to any of us. So it is a great way to live. This invitation that we are giving. This is why Christ said, follow me. So we can be fearless. We can live a fearless life. Which is a great thing in this world that's so filled with danger, isn't it? To live fearlessly. Imagine what we could do if we lived fearlessly. Imagine. I know in my own life, the time that gets wasted because my head can't get itself out of A fear or an anxiety I'm having or a worry that I just can't get past. And and I spend hours, even days, not doing what I should be doing because I'm just so trying to figure something out that's causing me to be worried or fearful or stressful. So, this homily of Paul's that we read today, we're going to be in for a few weeks as we explore the divine yes in more detail. But anyway, so this homily which is part of this incredible essay on resurrection, resurrection, Adam and Christ. This is his logical defense of why resurrection must be the final reality. That's what Paul does here as we read it together, maybe started to see while that's, he's making arguments. It's a forceful and it's a brilliant piece of argument, which Paul couches so interestingly in this very tender metaphor, First Fruits. As forceful as he is in this argument, it's still a very tender metaphor, first fruits. Now, I personally don't believe this is a nod to Leviticus at all. Some some commentators think that. Great. I just don't make the connection. The first fruit idea in Leviticus is about consecrating our first fruits to God. Instead, I think this is simply a beautiful imagery Paul is grabbing from the world of agriculture. When the first fruits appear and start being harvested, they are a promise of what is coming the rest of the harvest. That's why I used that picture at at offering time of people harvesting grapes. First fruits. It's like here in New England, what are we waiting for? Well, (laughs) we're going to wait a long time with this much snow, but crocuses, right? We love crocuses. Why? Because winter's done. And even though we get another storm and they get buried, we know they're there. Spring is coming. For Paul, the resurrection of Christ is exactly that. Proof that we all, in Christ, will know resurrection. Now think about this. This is a remarkable understanding for someone of his background. His particular Jewish theology understood resurrection as purely an end of time event. A post-human history event. So to see the resurrection of Christ in time, was for Paul, life-changing. It meant resurrection. Living is now, because it revealed that the very worst possible condition of humanity, death. Right? That's the worst possible condition of humanity. That that's the one thing. Whatever you wrote down in your card at the end of it's probably behind it because it might lead to death. Worst possible condition of humanity is destroyed. So we can be assured of resurrection because of this Christ event and live accordingly is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians and what he's saying to us. Christ rose from the dead, we will do. Resurrection is real, not death. We do not merely live out our length of days and then have the hope of resurrection as an addendum. Rather, as Paul makes plain in this passage, Christ's resurrection has set in motion a chain of unstoppable events that absolutely determines our present and our future. Christ is the first fruits of those who are His, who will be raised at His coming. That ought both to reform the way we currently live and to reshape our worship into seasons of unbridled rejoicing. Listen, there's much to be afraid of in this world. I get it. But I'm convinced if we would believe in resurrection, our fears would be greatly reduced. And not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, our children even. You know, I've come to realize in my own life that that has been the real test for me, kids and having them. You know, pre-kids and pre-marriage, I lived in India. And I purposely lived amongst the poorest of the poor. I, I spent time in leper colonies. I, I hugged lepers and I touched them. I, I don't know if I get within a mile of a leper colony now. And I'm just being honest. I did. I I, touch, I held them. I touched them. I rubbed their hands. I, I lived amongst the poorest. I didn't care. Cities would be shut down because what they called bonds or strikes Citywide strikes, which would always be have religious anger and violence going on. I'd go out and I'd take pictures. And I'd help people that were getting beat up. I'd do anything. I-, I lived resurrection when I was younger. And I'm just being honest. I've lost that faith in resurrection. And it's really interesting. I've lost it around my kids. What a tragedy. I'm just being honest. This exploration of this chapter is, is really hitting me in deep places. Maybe it's because I turned 52, I don't know. But I'm just being honest and confessing to you. And, and I'm, I'm doing it as a challenge and to encourage you as I'm being challenged. If resurrection living was good enough for me, and it was, I put, I, I didn't, I was recklessly putting myself, I just didn't think about it. I just did whatever was required when, when I lived there. I didn't care if there was food. I, I didn't care anything. I just went and loved people. Well, if that was good enough for me, I've been asking myself all week, why am I teaching my kids the exact opposite? Why am I teaching them to embrace a life of self-preservation? What am I doing? When Noah had open-heart surgery, it was the worst worst possible weekend of my life. Why? Because I was afraid he was going to die. And yes, I'm not making light of that. If he dies today, I will be devastated and you will all have to minister to me. But the reality is, he'll be alive. That's resurrection. I would love to be dead and alive right now because this card I wouldn't have to worry about anymore. Why have I taught my kids the exact opposite? I've lost the faith in resurrection. I want to get it back. For if resurrection is true, then then why would we be afraid for any of them? My daughter started driving. I I hardly let her use the car now because it's winter. Dad, it's going to be winter for a long time. I don't care. I don't care. Ugh. Mark I said it so brilliantly, and I want to capture this. Two weeks ago when he was teaching, he said, listen, it wasn't the draw of the cross that brought Jesus to resurrection. It was the draw of resurrection that brought Jesus through the cross. Oh, that's it. I'm asking you, help me believe again. I'm trying to help you believe again. Why do we live? Self-preserving lives. Resurrection, the divine yes, our singular hope, allows us to go through even the cross without fear, for on the other side is life in all its glorious perfection. Let's take our cards again. I'm doing it. I need to do this. Right across where we wrote our fears and our emotions, let's just write a big Yes just a big yes just write a big yes and then on the other side just write resurrection and here's what I want to encourage us to do Let's keep these cards nearby. Use them as a bookmark. or Well, actually, a lot of people don't use books anymore. They use their computer. But keep it somewhere in your wallet, in your purse. I'm going to keep mine close. I, I, I'm reading a great book right now. It's going to be my bookmark. And let's do this. Over the weeks to come, let's pray this divine yes. This singular hope, this reality of resurrection. Let's pray that it would speak deep comfort into our souls and slowly transform our lives to lives without fear. Lives without fear. May God help us all. Amen.